Second Peter chapter two. I don't really know what to title this. We could call it backsliders and backsliding or the danger of backsliding. How to keep from backsliding may be a more appropriate title, but we'll explain this as we go along. But second Peter chapter number two. That's way back there by the book of Revelation. And I'll start reading with verse 17 and go through 22. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought in bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness, than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, but it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I like those word pictures to describe the condition of someone who backslides. Well, let's have a word of prayer as we dig into this. Father, again, it is a privilege to be able to look into the word. We're asking you now to speak to all of our hearts. Give us ears to hear. We count it a blessing to be able to gather in fellowship. We pray that you would talk to us now. Give me the ability to speak clearly and whatever may be complex. We pray that you would help us to clarify it with the help of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I think we ought to begin at least by trying to give a statement about what happens when a person becomes a Christian. When a person comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and comes to realize that they've been separated from God by their sin, that they have lived without God, separated from God and have lived in darkness the Spirit of God, by bringing that conviction, has made us feel guilty. We always want to remember that the Spirit of God does not convict wherever there's no evidence of guilt. So the person who is in sin and then come un under conviction, God is working on them. And wherever God brings the power of conviction, he also grants the power of repentance. So the person who comes under the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is able then and there to repent of their iniquities, turn from darkness and go to the light. And with repentance, simultaneously, the mighty power of regeneration is occurring and God reaches into that person's life and gives them a new heart. With that new heart, that's the beginning of a new life. God gives new desires. God gives a person a totally different attitude. The burdens of their life have now been alleviated because the king has come in and he has washed their sins 
away. So just like a beautiful newborn baby, that person is clean, that person is holy, that person gets a new start in the kingdom of God. Now that they're in the kingdom of God, we have to understand there are immediate challenges and distractions and temptations. And just like a baby, we have to be renewed in our mind. We have to learn to grow in grace and in knowledge. We have to learn to cultivate the fruit of the spirit in our lives. We have to learn to walk in love and to become better Christians. And it's a lifelong pursuit. There's never been anybody who has attained to a righteous stature and does not need any further growth. You have grown to a place today in your Christian walk that is different than the first day you came to know the Lord. And I like to believe that a year from now, you'll be further down the road than you are today. And that's the whole process. This, this is how it begins. And for you, it may not always seem like that growth is occurring, but it is if you're feeding on the word of God. And it's like a little kid who goes and, and measures themselves. You know how they make the little marks on the wall and then they're trying to see how tall they are. And then they're going back two or three days later, standing by that mark, hoping that they got taller again and only to realize they hadn't moved at all. But then there's somebody who hasn't seen them in six months to a year. And then they come back and the grandma or auntie or somebody says, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how big you've gotten. And the little kid is thinking, well, I haven't grown that much at all. See, and this is how it is for us as Christians. We don't feel sometimes like our growth is comparable to how we're feeding on the word of God. But that's not always a bad thing, because there are some people don't read the Bible at all. And imagine what would happen if for every day that you read the Bible, you grew stronger and taller. But for every day you neglected the word, you grew shorter. You diminish. Can you imagine how many how many midgets there would be walking around in the church? Because there are a lot of people don't read the Bible at all, but say they're Christians. I mean, they don't pick it up at all until church day. If they pick it up, then. So as a Christian, we've come into the kingdom of God and we have to understand that when you mention the word backslide, that 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 bothers a lot of people. I've had some interesting conversations with folks when I have asked, do you believe that a Christian can backslide? And someone will say, well, if they, if they lose it, they never had it. Or they'll say, perseverance means you're going to continue all the way right up to the point. So if they start sliding back, then grace isn't working. And I say, you, you're misunderstanding the question. I'm not asking you, where are they going? In eternity, I'm asking you, do you believe a Christian can be walking with God and in covenant with God and then turn around and repudiate what they believe and start going in the opposite direction? And a lot of people will tell me, no, I don't think a, a, a Christian can do that at all or anybody in covenant can do that at all. But when you read the biblical writers, you see they knew that the folks were doing that. You can see it in the stories of Israel. And I, I want you to keep your finger here, but I want to quickly look at a couple of places. I'm going to start with 1 Kings chapter 11. This is a gentleman by the name of Solomon. Now, let's let's not forget Solomon had a relationship with God and God loved this gentleman. But Solomon's problem was he loved many women. And he's one character in the scripture says had a thousand wives and concubines. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, anybody with a thousand wives and concubines is not that bright. Okay. 
And there's a reason that when we read the Old Testament, we should learn from their stories. As Paul said, they were examples for us as how not to live many times. So I'm not chasing behind Solomon when it comes to morality. I'm chasing behind Solomon when it comes to what he did right in accordance with the law of God. So first Kings 11, notice verse one, King Solomon loved many strange women. See that That's to say foreign women, people outside of the covenant with God. They didn't make ladies that he didn't like. It didn't matter what country they came from. And if, if you can remember the old Star Trek series, you, you, you know that Captain Kirk, it didn't matter what planet they were from. They could be green and he would be attracted to them ladies. And so Solomon, with the kind of lust problem that he had, you can see there in verse one. He loved women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, you shall not go into them. So he loved all of those who were off limits. That's what I want you to see. Then notice in verse four, it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. If they turned away his heart, that means there was a time where his heart was right with God and his heart was in the direction of God. So there are things that can come into our lives that will turn us away from the truth, turn us away from a good relationship with God. Notice verse nine. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. So he had had two marvelous supernatural experiences with the Lord. And this is proof that just because you have a supernatural visitation of God, that there's no guarantee you're going to remain with the Lord. Given the right circumstances, you can turn and go in a direction you're not supposed to. And the reason Solomon did this is because he chose to do what God did not want him to do. And it was a choice that he made. And it'll be a choice that I make or you make if you ever decide to go away from what the king says. Go to Proverbs chapter 14. You can find Psalms immediately after the Psalms. Chapter 14. Notice what it says in verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. So this is where backsliding starts. It starts in here where people can't see it. You can sit in the church. You can sit in a temple. You can sit in your home and in your mind already be going back to the very things that you once loved while your body is still in the house of God. I've seen many people backslide sitting on a church pew. I've seen people turn away from God and grow cold as they've sat right there where you are right now. So the scripture is very plain. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways because a backslider essentially is involved with selfishness. I'm determined to go my own way. I'm determined to do my own thing. And it doesn't matter to me what God's word says. If I want him or her and I'm determined to do this, you are not going to stop me. You can talk until you turn blue in your face. I'm not listening. See, And if you persist in that, 
and continue to move away from the truth of God, then you start sliding backwards. I don't want you to get the impression that just because you make one decision that isn't good, that you're in a backslidden condition. I'm not saying that. There are a whole lot of people get you saved on Sunday morning and lost on Sunday night. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about the person who has a relationship with God and then a process begins where they make one bad decision that produces consequences that leads to other bad decisions that produces greater consequences. And they continue this downward spiral. And later in life, you can't even find a relationship with God at all. And it's wrong to say, well, if you know, they they never were saved because, you know, they were saved. I've met people who are Calvinists who certainly believe that if you the grace of God is applied to your life, you will persevere and they don't think you can resist the grace of God at all. I've seen them have their children sprinkled, raise their children in the church, tell everybody how their children love God and how wonderful they are in their Christian life. And then when those children grow older and go out off on their own into the world and are living in sin, they never mention their kids relationship with God at all. But they would never say they're backslidden. I don't know any other way to describe it. If you're doing the things that God has told you not to do, then a backslidden condition is going to be inevitable. If there's no conviction, then repentance in our relationship with God. Now, before I tackle second Peter two, let me give you one more out of Jeremiah chapter three. Jeremiah, just keep turning your pages. You're going to run into Isaiah and then you're going to see Jeremiah chapter number three, chapter number three. And notice the language in verse six. For the Lord said unto me in the days of Josiah, the king, have you seen that which backsliding Israel has done done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree and there have played the harlot. Here is a nation in covenant with God. I've already showed you an individual can do some things they're not supposed to do. Here's an entire nation in covenant with God and are sliding backwards. Look at verse eight. And I saw when for all the causes whereby black backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So the Lord is saying, when I was judging Israel because of her iniquities, you would have thought the tribe of Judah and the nation of Judah would have said, well, this is bad what's happening to them. Maybe we ought to stay on the right path and walk with God. But no, she was provoked to do the same thing that the nation of Israel is doing. Now, this is what we have to think about when we think about us as a country. You, 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 you take a look at some of the early literature and writings of our founding fathers whose understanding of their coming to America was to have a place where they could worship the king and then establish what they believed would be a city set on a hill and then look at some of the early laws that were required in this nation in order for people to vote, in order for people to be citizens, and then look at the kind of decisions we make right now. I'm almost certain the Pilgrim founders would say this nation has backslidden. And if you went back to... A couple hundred years ago, back with the founding fathers, when some of them were still around, if you would have asked them about the current condition of America, do you think they'd say it's backslidden? They'd have to, because your grandparents, when you were a kid, you know what your grandparents said over and over again? 
This world is going to hell in a handbasket. They said things are worse than they've ever been. And now look at us today. We're saying the same thing to the next generation that's coming along. So the idea that, that, that man is evolving and getting better is a, is a deception. It's a mask. It's a smokescreen. Technology may be getting better, but even with technology, mankind, with all of its sinful nature and depravity, has found more ways, more deceptive ways to sin, to backslide. Let's let's look at one more verse right here in this chapter. So in verse 11, the Lord said to me, the backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. So he's giving reasons why the nation is backslidden. God, you're not helping me. God, you're not answering my prayer. You don't understand. The other nations have more than we do. We're jealous of them. We want to have what they have. So let's go now. Second Peter. So how do we keep from permitting this to happen in our life. Now, we could also give you the story of Judah, Judas, I should say, but I'm not going to go all into that. But I want to get into some precautions. In chapter two of Second Peter, in the beginning of the chapter, he's telling us that in the last days, there are going to be many false teachers. These false teachers are going to bring in a lot of bad teachings that are going to produce damnation. He's saying they're going to be people who believe these teachings and they are going to lose their soul and be separated from God because they believe a lie. That's what he's saying in the last days. And he says in verse two, their ways are pernicious. Verse three, he talks about their covetousness. They're trying to make merchandise of them. Kind of like the old snake oil salesman that wanted to make as much money as they could. They roll into town with the little wagon and then, of course, they open up the side of that wagon, then they had maybe a thousand bottles there, all of them about the same shape and size, the same color, but all of them had different labels on it. And then the people in the little villages would come out there and they say, if you got whooping cough, I got something just for you. He reached right over there and grabbed that. They'd take that. If you got a swollen ankle, I've got something just for you. Reach right over there and grab that. Most of the people didn't know the same thing was in every bottle. So this is why when we talk about people making merchandise of you, we're saying that for some false teachers, the point and motive of it all is to somehow exploit you. That's what in the last days we see a lot of this. And then when we come down to where I am, he's continuing this same thought with all of these teachers And he says in verse number 17, there are wells without water. Wells without water water are of no value to anybody. And you certainly can't pump anything out of them. And so these people are not gifted to give you anything. The great swelling words of verse 18, speaking of vanity, has to do with the emptiness of it all. There's nothing they're saying that contains any spiritual substance. There are some people... They can teach hour after hour and never give you anything that feeds your inner man. Anything that will permit you to grow in grace or in knowledge. And I think this is what he's after when he sees this here. But he notices that through the lusts of the flesh, 
He's he's trying to entice people. That's what false teachers are doing. They appeal to that base nature of the human because all of us have certain things that we desire. And this is why there's certain things people want to hear. I remember one time having a conversation with Dr. Hilton Sutton and he was telling me about somebody on, on television. And he was saying, I asked this gentleman, why don't you ever teach on something related to sin or something that will bring conviction to people or something that deals with the cross or anything like that. And the man said to Hilton, said, I have to teach on those things that make my partners happy. Think about that. Well, then that means you've got to somehow be taking a poll of what delights your partners. And once you figure out what it is that makes your partners happy, then you can you continue to feed on that and minister to that. And there are many, many teachers and ministers who are like that. They focus on how they can exploit that that particular appetite in those people. If you gave kids candy all the time, do you think they'd be healthy as they got older? No, but I can tell you there'd be a whole lot of kids that would be happy. Yeah. I mean, who didn't like cotton candy when they went to the amusement park or something like that? And if when I was a kid, if if somebody could have just stuck a Hershey's bar in my hand for every meal, I would have been pleased. I wasn't happy when mom put spinach out there on the table, but she made me eat it anyhow. And so as a as a Christian, you have to you have to feed on all of the word of God and you can't just meditate on your favorite scriptures. If you want to be a well-rounded Christian, you've got to dive into those parts of the Bible that you may not necessarily like. And you may find them difficult to read sometimes, but you still need to read them, regardless of how you feel afterwards. Because there are folks that say, well, I never read the Old Testament because there's just stuff in the Old Testament that I don't like. And I tell people all the time, God has never asked for your approval about anything he's ever done. The only thing he's ever said is that you need to believe it. That's it. God never asked your advice for anything he's accomplished in this earth. And our role should simply be as a minister to proclaim what the scripture says, not to try to explain away what God has done. So look again. He says in the last sentence of verse 18, there were people who just barely escaped from all of those who were living in error. And so these people who have escaped and who's come into the knowledge of Christ. These are the ones he's talking about as far as going back into it. So the people who were teaching were promising them liberty. but They themselves were servants of corruption. And that's usually what false teaching does. It offers you an opportunity to have greater freedom and license to do the kind of things that you want to do. And they'll say things like this. Accept our teaching on grace because there's no obligation in our teaching on grace. You're not obliged to do anything. You can live any way you want because that is how God made grace in the New Testament. That's deception. You can read Paul's letters. Paul has one commandment after another in his letters. He says, pray without ceasing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He says that we should forgive one another. Those aren't just suggestions and that isn't just better advice for good living. Those are obliged or I should say obligations upon us who are believers. And as Christians, we are to live the life every day. Take up the cross and follow me. Walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And whenever I hear 
people who are trying to offer greater freedom. And in that freedom, they try to take away anything that that has to do with repentance and a changed heart. Then I know this is a kind of a teaching that will lead to believers falling away from God. Falling away. And it's happening every day. We, we, we see these things and it breaks our heart. He says in verse 19, of whom a man is overcome, the same is brought into bondage. So in ancient times, if if one army went and overcame another group of military people, then the people who were conquered became the people who had to be subjugated to the conquerors. And that's what happens. If we are overcome by any habit, addiction, problem in life, that thing controls us to the point that we cannot function without it. Now consider something as small as whether it's uh, a piece of chocolate, because there are people addicted to chocolate, can't function without chocolate, or or a piece of chewing tobacco, because there, there are people that chew every day and they can't function unless they have that, that tobacco in, 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 in their mouth going into their system. Or, or if it could be something like, uh, the, the caffeine from a soda or something like that. Anything that is going to control your life to the point that you just can't function without it and you're going to be ready to fight with people because you can't hurry up and get it. I'm telling you right now, you're overcome with something and something that small shouldn't have that much power in your life. And that's natural stuff we're talking about. He says here that that the person that's overcome is in bondage. So Jesus said that the strong man has to go in and then he's got to take over. And then when he does that, he spoils the goods of the other people. So the devil, if he can come into your life and into my life, he can bring us into bondage in a lot of different ways. And once we're in the bondage, we cannot do the things that God wants us to do. And it's only a matter of time if we're not mentally strong that we're going to start slowly Drifting away from God. You say, why? Because we're frustrated, because we're in bondage. We want to be free from this. We pray and ask God to free us from it. He doesn't free us from it immediately. And so that frustration puts us on a roller coaster road emotionally. And pretty soon, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want anybody witnessing to me. Then you're back out in the world doing the things that you once did before you became a Christian that you stopped doing once you became a Christian. This is happening every day in churches because people have not tried to protect themselves from the kind of temptations that have come to them and have not guarded their minds. You have to be strong when it comes to these kinds of things. Otherwise, just like Samson, There'll always be a Delilah out there somewhere that'll pull you away from the will of God. And you put your head in Delilah's lap and you let her begin to stroke your forehead and run her fingers through your hair. And it was just a matter of time before the adversary has you right there where he wants you. He rocks you to sleep. And then pretty soon you don't even care about the Bible anymore. So when that preacher gets up and says, well, you know, this book is filled with a lot of legends. And only people who actually believe this Bible to be the inspired word of God are really superstitious people today. This is the 21st century. And nobody today actually believes that that, that anybody could be demon possessed. I mean, that was way back then. Nobody believes that today. And you start believing that kind of stuff. And then pretty soon 
you, you'll wonder, well, what's, what's the point of all of this? Sliding back. I have seen uh, parents raise kids, send the kids off to what's supposed to be a Christian college. Then the kids come home on break and they're asking questions about whether or not Genesis chapter one is true. Once they start asking questions like that, you already know they've been meditating on this. They've been thinking about this. Somebody's seeding their minds with doubt and unbelief and anxiety. And then when they totally backslide and say, I don't even believe in God anymore, people say, well, I can't understand how it happened. I'm trying to help you see how these things happen. Why do we or why have we spent hour after hour educating young people to love God, to walk with God, to seek God, and then ship them off to a place that's going to tell them God isn't real. I don't understand. I've never understood that. But this is exactly what we do. So they end up becoming a doctor and they're making a whole lot of money, but they're apostate now. They're unbelievers now. They've totally walked away from their faith, although they know how to set a bone now. They know how to do stitches, but they don't know how to do God. So this is this is what I'm what I'm getting at. We we have to we have to work very hard to preserve preserve our belief. So verse twenty, he talks about having escaped the pollutions of the world. That's an interesting word that, that you could be polluted by the culture, and it tells you how to how to escape the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So knowledge truly is power. Scripture says, you know, the truth and the truth will set you free. So knowledge of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his career, his redemptive work, all that he accomplished on the cross, his healing ministry. That kind of knowledge is what can pull a person out of darkness. How do we know that? Because we've seen God do that in Africa. Pull people out of witchcraft and ancestral religions. We've seen it in the Middle East where people have turned their back on Mohammedism and, and came to a greater knowledge of love. You, you ever wonder why when you see Muslims, they hardly ever are smiling? There's not a lot to laugh about. And in their worship services, they, they don't sing songs like we do in the mosque. They, 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 there's no joy connected with the religion. In the sense, like a church, when you come in and people are praising God and people are clapping and talking about how much they love God, that kind of a thing. When you turn on the television and you see somebody being interviewed on the news and the person is of a Muslim background, they usually are angry. Why are they angry? Because it's in here. And what's in here is going to come out in your countenance. But when Christ comes in, immediately that person gets a new heart, they get a new smile. God turns that frown upside down. So the knowledge of the Lord is able to free us from the pollutions of this world. Now, there are religious people that do grin and smile all the time. You can find Buddhists. They're some of the happiest people on the planet. And and, and they're always got a big smile on their faces. They're trying to talk to you about reincarnation and, 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 and reaching a stage of enlightenment. And, and never, never, ever seeming like they have any kind of problems at all. They think they found true peace because the Buddha has brought them to a place where they have this this knowledge. And then when you dig a little bit beneath the surface, then you find out there's not a whole lot of peace there after all. Utter confusion about what's right and what's wrong. Because the Buddha created a whole set of standards that he couldn't even maintain himself. Same thing with the Hindus. Yeah, lots of... Lots of uh, 
reincarnation and that can't even eat any kind of meat at all that God says it's okay to eat so long as we give thanks to him but you can't eat any kind of meat got to stick strictly with vegetables because of the whole belief in reincarnation that that bug over there can't kill it it could be somebody's aunt and you can't eat that cow and butcher that cow because that could be a relative of mine every living entity has some kind of a soul attached to it and you see why this this world is so crazy I told you religion was created by the devil to keep people from ever finding God. That's what it is. It's a mask to keep people from ever finding the true God. So when they come to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're free, it says it's not good if they're entangled again. Like like something, an insect caught in a web, like fish that are enmeshed in some kind of a net. And if you get entangled hard to get out. And the more you start trying to pull yourself, the more difficult it is to get out. And this is why when I've seen backsliders come back to the Lord, even when they're weeping and crying, their return to the Lord is never as great as it was when they first came to know the Lord. Their second experience, never as good as their first experience. Because Jesus said that when that unclean spirit goes out, goes back in, says the latter end is worse than the first. And they've already had that first experience of coming to know the Lord. Then they turn and walk away. But eventually they know they need to come back and they come back. But the joy isn't quite the same. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean that God hadn't restored the relationship. I'm just saying the whole experience of coming back is different. So verse 20, who would have ever thought in the last line there that someone's latter end could be worse? Now Think about it. Someone who. We'll just use some pretty bad, bad transgressions that everybody knows we shouldn't be involved with. Let's say someone is involved with prostitution, okay? And they have inside of them a very large appetite for physical relationships with other people. So there's just something in them that drives them. I mean, if they could, they'd have they'd have a relationship with somebody every day. They'd be in and out of bed every day. That's how strong that urge is in them. They become a Christian. God basically saves them from their sins, nails that old man to the cross. They learn to reckon themselves dead unto God. And then something occurs And before you know it, they start drifting away from the Lord. They get offended at God, offended at some church people. Maybe they say people are too judgmental, whatever it is. And then they start moving further away from God and they're sliding backwards, to use the language of Scripture. And once they get back off into this sin and they turn and walk away from God, when the Lord says that the latter end is worse than what they had in the beginning, that is saying, if you really thought that urge was bad back then, you ought to get a look at them now without God in their life now. That's what happens. I've seen people come off of alcohol and start walking with the Lord. So they say, and and, and then when they turn and, and go back to that alcohol and leave God, oh, that 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 end, that latter end is terrible. It's terrible. And this is this is the the illustration that Peter wants us to see here. We should do everything we can to love people, to encourage people, 
And when we see people battling and striving to do do right and the adversaries trying to overcome them, we ought to do everything we can to help pull them out of the snare of the adversary. Because we already know what the end game is. I just told you right here in this last sentence in verse 20, the latter end is going to be worse. So you don't ever give up on anybody. And that's the love of God. Every time God sent a prophet to somebody in the Old Testament and said, look, repent, turn from God. That's the love of God. Now Israel didn't think that. And every time you've gone to your own kids and your grandkids and you've said, look, what you're doing isn't right. You really ought to. This, we didn't raise you this way. And they say, look, I'm tired of you harassing me and talking to me about all of this stuff. But remember, one day they're going to know that was God's love reaching out to them. Because the worst thing that could happen to them is to have nobody speaking into their life. Yeah, that would be terrible to let you go your own way without somebody saying to you, don't you think you're a little too old to be acting like this? Yeah. Or to tell somebody, you're not old enough to act like this. So Peter says in verse 21, it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment. Now that's a strong statement. Tell somebody it would have been better for you if you had never come to know Jesus than to do what you're doing right now and live the way you're living. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. Because we have to be accountable for our lives. There was a, a family one time that had a daughter who, who had run, run away from God and was all off into doing a whole lot of stuff she shouldn't have been doing. And so, good parents that they were, every Sunday, they're in that altar on their knees praying for their daughter who was wayward. And they've got other church people in there praying for their daughter also. And this went on, I guess, maybe a couple of years or so. And whenever the daughter would come around, you better believe mom and dad were saying, well, look, we didn't raise you like this. Why are you breaking our hearts? I mean, what's, what, what's the deal? Uh, let's, let's get right with God and walk with God because living out there in the world, doing drugs and all this stuff isn't good for you. You need to come back to God. Of course, she didn't want to hear that. Well, one night she she was out at a at a, uh, a dance and she was with her her fiance or husband, whoever he was. And and she was on one side of the dance floor dance with somebody. And he was down on the other end of the dance floor dance with somebody. And of course, the lights are down. The band is playing and there's just a whole lot of whole lot of excitement and everything going on out there on the floor. And so while she was out there dancing, she had what she thought was like a vision. And, and it seemed to her like the entire floor disappeared and all she saw were flames of fire and she felt like she was falling. And so she screamed out at the top of her lungs and her, her, her boyfriend, her husband heard her and he ran down there as fast as he could see what was going on. I mean, they stopped the music and everything. That's how loud this, this young lady screamed. And when he got down there and grabbed her, he said, what's going on? She said, take me to my parents' house immediately. Take me there now. It's two o'clock in the morning. So that's exactly what they did. They drove to that place and got there to mom and dad's house. Uh, of course, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you wake up, somebody banging on the door. You're not thinking something good has happened. Two o'clock in the morning, you somebody banging on your doors normally because you're thinking something bad is happening. So they jumped up, run to the door, see what's going on. And, and, and mom and dad opened up that door. That girl fell into their arms, begging them to forgive her because of how she had been living. So she and her 
male friend there, they were joined together and restored and God did a wonderful work in their heart and in their life. So now they're saved. So the old crew that they used to run with, they, they, they let them all know that they'd become Christian, but they were baby Christians and they were having to learn some things. So they, what they were doing now was they were inviting people over to their homes. And when they come to the house, they, they let them drink their liquor and do all of their business. But they told them, we don't do that anymore. But, but we still want to have our friends and we want you to come around. And so the, the, the parents had told the pastor about this and the pastor went and had to talk with him and said, now look, if, if you're going to come out of sin, then you got to come out of the world and you got to be separate, saith God. That's what scripture teaches. So God saves you from that, that group, then you come out of that. Because if you're going to keep bringing that group around you without them being saved, then there's a very good chance that they're probably going to draw you back in. Now, there are a lot of people who honestly believe they're strong enough to handle it. But I'm telling you, if I stood up on this this pulpit right now and you came and stood down here near me and we grabbed hands and and I said, OK, I'm going to try to pull you up here where I am. And I and I want you to try to pull me down there to where you are. I guarantee you it'd be a whole lot easier for you to pull me down there where you are. And this is what happens very often when someone is a baby Christian and they start walking with the Lord. They think because they've had a powerful experience with God and they feel like they've got muscles on top of their muscles, that there's nothing they cannot handle when temptation comes. And then when the temptation comes, they are right back to where they came from. And you cannot deny that they had a powerful experience. The scripture said regarding Solomon, the Lord appeared to him twice. But the ladies turned his heart away from God. So that can happen to anybody if we're not careful. And I'm simply saying that when God begins to work on your heart, you have to then learn to separate yourself from those individuals. Sometimes that can be the problem. Coming out of the world doesn't mean you can't be a witness. Because you can't reach people that are lost unless you go to where they are. And this is where God gives us the other opportunities and being able to meet with our former friends and with other people in the community who don't know God. The only way to reach them is to talk to them about the king. Let them see your life. Some people are never going to come to church, but they are going to pay attention to how you live. They may never pick up a Bible, but they'll read your life. And if you live your life out loud and let your witness be strong and powerful, they will know inside of a few minutes. He's different. She's different from me because we've been using a bunch of foul language for the past 10 minutes. And not one word has come out of her mouth. They'll know there's something different. Yeah. And and I think that's a that's a beautiful way to uh, start a start a conversation with people. And the other thing we could ask ourselves, if people don't ask us why, why are we different? Maybe it's because we're not that different after all. See? Maybe they think we're just like them. And we're not. We're supposed to be different as, as, as Christians. So again, verse 21 says, it's better that they had not known the way of salvation. And then verse 22, it's happened unto them according to the pro- true proverb. And this proverb is from uh, Proverbs 26. It says, the dog is returned to his vomit again. 
So he's he's obviously using illustrations that they would understand. And somebody would have to know about the habits of a dog in order to understand this here. And everybody who's ever had a dog understands that there are canine critters that when they expurgate food that formerly had been in their belly, it doesn't make them a difference whether they go back five minutes from now or a day and a half. It'd be just as delectable to them at that time as it was in the beginning. And the whole point of what the Lord is saying is there's something in that old nature that still will find former appetites to be good. Things that you once enjoyed, you'll turn back to it. So every year when all the kids go up and they, they have all their blue ribbon pigs, don't you just love how they, they make them, them animals look so nice, so clean? Oh my goodness. Might as well perfume them and everything else. I mean, they just, I mean, just look wonderful. And then when you take them right back home and then you open up the gate and they run off that trailer, where do they go? Right back in all that mess again. Yeah. And the amazing thing about it, 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 it isn't that they're, they're clean and they get dirty, it's that they delighted so much in bathing in the mud that they never ceased to enjoy it. That's why they go back to it. So on a hot day, they go out there and want to roll around in that mud because it makes them feel cooler when that sun is hitting them. And then when you think about the person who backslides and goes right back into all of that, the only thing the Lord is saying is that nature, that unclean nature is still in there and that unclean nature will do unclean things. And it will do the kind of things that will leave you believing that is terrible. That's terrible. And there's nothing in these metaphors here in verse 22 that are supposed to put a smile on your face. Peter described this the way he did because he wanted you to turn your nose up and think about that because that's exactly what a backsliding life is. It is not something that ought to captivate us. It ought to be something that turns us off. But the Lord, he's able to heal backslidings and that's what it says in Hosea. The person who is off into sin, God can bring them home. He can bring them home. There's never been anyone who has been outside of the boundaries of God's reach. Maybe I can't get to them. Maybe you can't talk to them and reach them. But there's somebody that can. And so when we pray, we pray, Heavenly Father, send somebody across his path, her path, that can minister a word that will touch his or her heart. And I promise you all across this nation right now, there are parents and grandparents praying for their children and they're asking the Lord, put somebody in their life in that college. Put somebody in their life in that work environment. Put somebody in their life on that military base that'll be able to minister Christ to them. And there'll be somebody, may not be you, may not be me, but God has a voice. The scripture says the voice of the Lord breaketh up the cedar trees. That means cedar trees with them strong roots that go down into the ground. The voice of God is able to uproot them. And that means they don't come too hard for God. No one is so deeply rooted in sin that he can't reach them. And you've heard people say when God starts saving people, he saves the worst First, so if God could save Marla Dowdy, you know he can save any 
of us. And we ought to be quite pleased that when he starts saving people, he keeps her going. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is so clear. And we certainly don't ever want to be part of that group of people that turn their back on you. So, Lord, give us the ability to guard our hearts and guard our minds and to live for you on our knees praying every day with our face in the book, reading what you placed in the scriptures. And I pray, God, you surround us with people that love you. Give us friends that love you and people that can strengthen us as we strengthen them. And we're looking forward to that day where we see you face to face. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.